Okay, good. Well, we are, as promised, starting a new series tonight on uh, the beauty of the Lord. And I have been really looking forward to getting into this study. I'm, we're going to take, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 weeks and just, and maybe longer, I don't know, just as much as the Lord wants to put on my heart, I guess, and uh, to, to share. But we're just going to continue to roll with this and, um, and really uh, plumb line ourselves as it relates to the way we operate on the basis of the beauty of God. We're going to allow the beauty of the Lord to be a standard in our devotion. I, uh, I remember several, several years ago, probably over a decade now, when I first heard somebody teach on the beauty of the Lord, and I thought, that's the fruitiest sounding thing I've ever heard in my life. I just had no grid for anybody that would get up and talk about the beauty of the Lord. And I thought, why would anybody ever talk about you know, God being beautiful? That's just a strange concept. And uh, 10 years ago, so you know, there wasn't a lot of songs on beauty at that time. I remember when the first time I heard that song, Beautiful One. And I thought, wow, that person, they're really pushing the envelope. <laughs> beautiful One, like just going to go ahead and just say he's beautiful. For some reason, it just seemed like the, the strangest idea majesty or, or, or glory or, or power or whatever, it, it, you know, that, that seemed to be more of a description of who God was, but, but not beauty. And, and I've watched in my own heart over the last 10 years, this not, I mean, I, I look at that and I go, that's the weirdest thing to me that I thought this was weird because of the journey in intimacy where the Lord has taken me. And, um, and, and, but I, you know, I, if, if you're where I was, that's okay, uh, because I, perhaps it hasn't been something that's been emphasized in preaching that you've heard or in study that you've done, and so it might sound a little odd, perhaps, but I, I, all I've got to say is this, this subject on the beauty of the Lord, it is, it is one of the most critical subjects to any believer and it is absolutely essential and foundational to the house of prayer. If this subject is not emphasized and focused upon, studied, meditated on in the house of prayer, 24-7 prayer makes absolutely no sense. Because all of a sudden you just turn into this sort of, this, you get into this robotic mode of sort of going through the motions and never interacting with the, the majesty of the one that, that, we, that we are setting our gaze upon. And I'm convinced that um, the, the, the vast reason, the, 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 the most uh, evident reason that the church experiences dullness, that the church um, goes headlong into other things, that the church becomes so captivated with other pursuits, uh, you know, so much media, I mean, just, just given to media and given to, so on the one hand, given to things that are not necessarily sinful, they could be, but not necessarily like just media and movies and stuff like that. But then even just given to sin and, and pornography and illicit stuff in the church, the, the main reason is because they have no sense of the beauty of the Lord. And this, this topic has got to be emphasized and really dug into. This is not something that will get on the run. And, uh, it, but it is something that is, is so powerful to our, to our soul, powerful to our senses, our emotions. I mean, transformation is so available to anyone who will study the beauty of the Lord. I mean, real transformation. It's so available if you'll go into this study, if you'll go deeply into this study. And so that's what I'm asking. I am calling those that are coming on Sunday night that we would go deep into a study on the beauty of the Lord for the next three, four months. And then that study, that three and four months, that will be just the introduction. Are you, are you guys here? That'll be just the beginning because his beauty is infinite. Infinite. We will have an eternity to be shocked over the, I mean, the incredible beauty of God, matchless in wonder. 
And so tonight, all I want to really do is just set the table. I just want to pique your interest. I want to give some thoughts as to why should we study this. And I'm, my heart is full. And I've only been really looking at it. Uh, I mean, I've looked at it over the years a lot, but just in a concentrated way, just for a couple of weeks. And I'm so full of ideas and thoughts and new insights and just... The Lord is just, I know his hand is on this, on this for us right now. The beauty of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And so tonight I want to set the table, just do an introduction, and I want to call you into this study. I want to just uh, read three verses, and, and, I, and I, want the, um, I want the importance of this topic to be identified to us by considering these three verses. And they're all from the mouth of David, King David. He's, you know, one of uh, the, the Bible's uh, most influential, most powerful, richest, uh, most provided for individuals. And he is a prophet. He is a king. He is a, a singer, songwriter, uh, you know, musician, artist, a warrior. A master strategist uh, and a master politician. You go, politician? I go, yeah. When it says the Lord taught him how to go in and out before the people, that's talking about how he, how he learned to handle God's favor and influence on his life as it related to the political realms. This guy, David, was gifted in, I mean, so many areas. And he was a good-looking man and... Uh, you know, just, just supplied and gifted in so many ways. And, and literally wielding authority in the earth <clears throat> like uh, few ever in the earth have. I mean, at the, at the peak of his, of his kingship, I mean, just had authority and, and, and just expanded the nation of Israel in such a, a, a massive way. And I want to really consider these words again. They're familiar verses, but I'm, I want to start literally, I want to start trying at, at the beginning again and allow these thoughts to just penetrate our hearts and, and set us anew on a voyage into the beauty of the Lord. So Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing ha- I have desired of the Lord. That man... David, with all that going for him, he goes, I've boiled it down and figured out there's actually one thing that I want. Now think about that. That resume I just gave you doesn't even do justice to everything that this guy had going for him. He goes, now I've figured it out. There's one thing that I want. One thing I have desired of the Lord. That will I seek. Because I am focusing my life in a certain direction. I'm focusing my life in a singular direction. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. In order, you could add that phrase, in order to behold the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire in His temple. I want to dwell before Him. Behold his beauty and interact with him. There is a great argument that comes against those that would spend lots of time in worship and lots of time in prayer, lots of time setting themselves before the scripture and before the Lord in prayer. And they would say, what a waste of a life. Why don't you do something productive? I think David has an answer for that. Because I've seen many, you, you can almost hear him say, I've seen many things under the sun. I have authority and riches and wealth and power, strategy, political clout, finances. I'm, I can move men. I know military, uh, you know, warfare, economics, government. I know arts, music. But after all of that, none of that is really actually what's important to me. What's important is to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to interact with Him. 
So I, we cannot underestimate the value, the biblical value that is placed on this subject. Gazing on God's beauty and majesty. David again, Psalm 145, verse 5. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I just think, man, David, what did you actually see? I believe he actually saw the throne room. Meditating on the the glorious splendor of God's majesty. And in 1 Chronicles 16, 29, David had insight into something called the beauty of holiness. It says, give the Lord the glory, do His name, bring an offering and come before Him, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And he ties these two ideas together, that beauty and holiness are actually linked. You know, it's kind of, um, it's a shame actually that over the years in church, holiness became a byword for being sort of, sort of, I don't know, just say it plainly, sort of ugly. Like if you're holy, you got to be ugly looking and sort of mean looking and, you know, you're un, untouched from the world, so you're just, you know, holy. It's just, the biblical explanation of holiness is that beauty and holiness are intricately linked. And that when you actually get into real holiness, you'll actually get into real beauty. And real beauty, real beauty will pull you into holiness. Come on. Which means this, that much of what the world crams down our throat and calls beauty is not. And much of the trajectory that people set their heart toward when they're saying, I I desire beauty, and they may not say it that way, but every heart does. I long to be beautiful, I long to see beauty. Every heart longs to be beautiful and see beauty. The trajectory of the heart that goes toward sort of the earthly definitions, the natural definitions of beauty, and then end up taking the heart away from holiness that just lets you know that that wasn't beauty. Because if it is beauty, it will take you into holiness. The beauty of holiness. David had revelation of that. He goes, that's the way I want to live. Oh, with a clean spirit fascinated on the majesty of God with my heart brimming and overflowing the revelation of who he is I want to be shocked and in awe I want to gaze I want to meditate on glory and splendor till I'm drawn in magnetically and I say yes to all that God is and holiness is birthed in my soul and every other supposed attraction is revealed to be what it truly is, unbeautiful in light of the glory of him. The beauty of holiness. This is, our, this is David, and so his commentary on it, you really can't argue with it. I mean, you just get to the point where you go, okay, I get it. Beauty is like seriously important. <laughs> and I just gave that on the front end for anybody that would listen to it and go, you know, beauty, that's kind of out there a little bit. No, 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 it's actually main and plain in the kingdom of God. It's main and plain. It's actually right down the center in the kingdom of God. It's just unfortunate that we don't mostly hear uh, teaching on it. On the, the power of beauty. The necessity to have your heart struck by beauty. Beloved, our hearts are made to be struck by beauty. Why do people spend millions of dollars on vacations and sightseeing excursions to go to beautiful places because it is intertwined into our fabric. It is inlaid into our makeup to long to see beauty. Why do we gasp at the sunset? You know, why do we, we gaze at the star? 
You know what I'm saying? Why, why do we consider the ocean and look at the horizon? And, wow. Why? Because it's inlaid in our fabric, in our DNA, our makeup, the makeup of our soul. It tells us we're made to perceive beauty. We want to see beauty. We long to, to touch this thing. See, this is what we're made for. We're made to perceive beauty and through the perception of it to become beautiful. As we gaze on beauty, we actually receive, true beauty, we actually receive an impartation of beauty upon us. This is how we're made. We're made to interact with real beauty. Now, I, I was meditating on this and started thinking more about our, our construction. And there's several thoughts here. I just kind of want to work through it. Just, it, was just, it was blowing my mind. You know, uh, the scripture describes God as the perfection of beauty. He's the perfection of beauty. In fact, it's improper, just from a theological standpoint, it's improper for us to say God uh, is beautiful. In other words, that beauty or beautiful actually describes God. God is actually the descriptor. In other words, he is above beauty, and, and whatever he is is beautiful. And, and beautiful does, isn't an adjective that describes him. He is the definition. You see what I'm saying? It's not beauty and all these other things, and God is part of that. It's actually God, the definition of beauty, and anything that's beautiful, you see what I'm saying, is like him. And so he is, the, he is the perfection of beauty, the definition of beauty. Beauty doesn't describe him. He is the very definition of it. And I started thinking about how we are constructed because so much of, not just our construction, but really so much of the fabric of all creation is about God telling us about himself. I'm just overwhelmed right now over this idea that God is weaving together. He is woven together in the fabric of, of all the DNA of all creation. So many, uh, you know, uh, impressions of himself. It's, it's, it's like a, you know, a beautiful painting, this, this masterpiece, this canvas, and this little insignia of the artist. You know, he writes his signature there. And, but man, you can't even tell hardly that that's the signature of the artist But because you have this beautiful canvas. And that's the, that's the entirety of life. God signs his name on everything. It's all talking about him. So many details. Well, I started thinking about our makeup and how God constructed us. And uh, I, was, I was imagining, I was thinking about my eyes. Because, you know, you perceive you have, you, have two, you have two senses that you can perceive from a distance and three that you have to, you have to be in proximity. And the two from the distance are the, the, the eye and the ear. Uh, the, the other three, taste, touch, and smell, you have to have, it should be, be in proximity. Um, but the eye and the ear you can perceive from far away. They're actually your two, your two chief senses. And I thought, how far can my eye see? How far? Because I was thinking about the construction that he's put in our being uh, and thinking about that we're, you know, we're constructed in a certain way for a certain reason. And, and so I was thinking, how far can the eye see? And I remember somebody said, well, yeah, a six-foot man, if he stands on the beach, he can see seven miles out into the horizon. And I thought, wow, we can see seven miles. And I, and I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can see the sun. The sun is 93 million miles away. You can see 93 million miles naked eye. with this. There's the sun out there, 93 million miles away. So I was like, wait, I know we can see past the sun because we can see stars and all sorts of stuff out there. And so I was like, you know, Google, how far can we see? And they tell us this with the naked eye. The naked human eye can see 2.5 million light years away. The Andromeda Galaxy. 2.5 million light years away. Think about that is a highly tuned optical instrument you have on the front of your face. 2.5 million 
light years with the naked eye. I thought, well, how much, how much can we see? I mean, that's how far we can see, but how much can we, what's the capacity? Like how many colors can the eye see? And I looked it up and they have this nanometer, which I won't go into it, but it, it identifies the difference in shades. And, and they say that the human eye, the naked human eye, it can see at least, they haven't been able to really measure it because it's just extensive how much your eye can take in. But they say the human eye can take in 10 million colors at least. At least 10 million colors. I mean, just to kind of get your mind around it, that's, that's like uh, the Georgia Dome with every person sitting in the seats all holding a different color and having 150 Georgia Domes. And you being able to recognize each one of those colors. I mean, I, and I was thinking, man, this is like real overkill. Because you probably only need a few miles. I mean, 10 miles, let's just say, if you could see 10 miles, you could probably get by on 10 miles pretty good. But instead, you can see 2.5 million light years. And I thought, color-wise, man, you could probably get by on 300 colors. I mean, you probably have your five favorites. You wear those all the time. 300 would be a stretch, right? And I just started just meditating on what in the world, why do we have such overkill? Why are we constructed with such incredible overkill that we could see so much? We're made in His image and likeness, yes, but we're made chiefly to look at Him. When you look at Him, you're going to need all 2.5 million light years because when you look at His face, you're going to stare into infinity. When you look into the being of God, you're going to look into, in, into eternity. Eternity is inside of him. You're made and your frame describes the greatness of him because your capacity, and this isn't even the glorified version, beloved. What happens when glory hits it and the capacity opens up? I think we're living with a muted capacity. I think we're living with a sin-broken capacity. I think the capacity that we have now is nothing compared to what happens when glory fills every fiber of your frame. What happens when you can see 10 million light years and you look at the face of God and you're perceiving the realms of glory in His eyes? And you see colors... I mean, 10 million of them, a hundred, who knows how many. See, you're made, there's no reason you need all that power in your packaging, except for God. And your very construction details, <laughs> it details his beauty. You know, the ear they say that the human ear, without any, without any, any kind of uh, help, without any kind of amplification, or you know, uh, anything that would kind of um, attenuate it, would increase the, the ability to hear, the, the ear can hear 20,000 hertz. 20,000 hertz. A hertz. One hertz is a single frequency of sound. You have a mechanism within your hearing that actually takes hertz blends them together, and, and that creates a pitch. And so you're hearing, in any given pitch, you're hearing several hertz at the same time. But my point becomes this. You have no need for 20,000 hertz. I mean, the, the, the highest little on the spectrum to the lowest you know, boom, whatever. You have no need for all that. I mean, we, we could probably get by with 100 hertz. We'd be a little monotone, but we could probably get by with it. But why all that capacity? Why all that capacity for pitches? 20 different thousand frequencies of sound, and then a, a one pitch is blending together two or three of them. Do you know the endless possibilities of sounds, of musical sounds? 
that you could hear. And then there are supersonic and subsonic sounds that are beyond the capacity of the human ear. But I believe when glory hits you, you're going to be able to hear them all. Infinite up, infinite down. Why do you need that? Because he's musical. He sings. Music comes out of him. Beloved, this is what we're made for. We're made to interact with the God of all beauty, the God of all majesty. We're, we're made to see into infinity. We're made to perceive colors that we don't have names for. I mean, what is it going to be? It's going to be red to the first power, red to the second power. You know what I mean? How many reds are there? I don't know, but you can see them. And they're going to come out of him, the sardius God. How many diamond-like Shades are there, I don't know, but it is going to come out of him and we are going to be engaged. I mean, it is going to be a buffet, an all-you-can-eat buffet of beauty. We haven't scratched this yet. We haven't even touched this idea yet. Let me give you another thought. Just, just thinking about our frame. I'm just, again, I'm, just, I'm sort of just emoting. These are just introductory ideas about beauty and the significance and the importance of it. Why study this? Okay. You have five senses. All of your senses portray things to you that end up touching your emotions. In fact, your emotions are a product of, of, any, of, of, of your senses. What you see, what you hear, smell, taste, touch. Smell affects your emotions. Taste affects your emotions. Touch affects your emotions. Seeing affects your emotions. What you hear affects your emotions. In fact, your emotions are so intricately woven into your senses that you could just say that perception and emotion are, are just tied together. Now, you don't comprehend beauty apart from your senses. And I would just say this if you want to go theological, that you, you have... This is a whole other discussion. Let's open up a can of worms, but might as well because we're going on this for a while. You have a mirror sense, a mirror spiritual sense for every one of your natural senses. For instance, you see with your natural eye, but you actually see in the spirit. You hear with your natural ears, but you hear in the spirit. You hear God speak to you. And there's smell and there's taste and there's touch. Those things, you feel spiritual things, but you don't feel them. So there's, I would say, maybe 10 senses. Anyway, we won't go into that right now, but just let your mind go off that on that on meditation time. You tell me what it means. But here's the point. What you see, what you perceive through the eye gate transmits something to you. You, you perceive it to be uh, you know, beautiful or not. You perceive it to be pleasing or not. Through your ear gate, you perceive it to be pleasing or not. Smell, taste, touch. Through all of your senses, you perceive pleasure tied, and it touches your emotions every time. So you could say it this way. Beauty is always sensory. It's always perceptive. It's something, you always, or something that's always perceived, I should say. Now, God's throne... In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. It's the pleasure epicenter of the entire created order. It's the highest realm of pleasure available in all creation, the throne of God. Do we agree on that? And it's also the pinnacle of beauty. Is that correct? He is the definition of it. And so, I believe this if you perceive beauty through the eye, you're only touching one-fifth of the capacity, only 20%. If you, if you see the pinnacle of beauty, but you only get it through the eye, that's only 20%. What my point is is this. When we actually come into his presence for the first time, when the veil is gone, when time and eternity mesh and the flesh and the spirit, when we're able to transcend that and we see him, we're not only going to perceive him through one sense, it's going to be all five. And we're not only going to perceive it like at a level eight. We're going to perceive through the eye, through the ear, 
through the nose, through the taste, through the touch, we're going to perceive at the highest, at the apex, the, 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 the highest possible measure through all five sensors at the same time when we see God. Beauty will be manifest before us and it will be a full contact interaction. Because for him to be the pinnacle of beauty, it's got to touch every one of our sensory perceptive agencies. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It has, to be in the, in, it has to be across the spectrum. And when we see him for the first time, the eye is going to see something. And the ear is going to hear beauty. And the nose, you're going you're gonna to smell the fragrance, the aroma of Christ. At the highest measure. And it's tied to the taste. I don't know. Taste and see the Lord is good. I guarantee you we've not even scratched that. And we're going to touch and feel. We're gonna, the, the very atmosphere of the throne room will be physical, tangible. And what I'm trying to say is all five of our sensory perceptors will be maxed out with one glimpse of God. Beauty. No wonder David said one thing. One thing I ask, this one thing I seek, I want to gaze on beauty. And your frame is made for this. This is what you're made for. Your emotions are interconnected to this. Your perception of beauty affects the way you think and feel. It has impact upon your emotional state and your your personality. It's all touched. It's all interchanged. I mean, I, I, I really believe this, and I don't want to downplay, you know, challenges people experience, you know, trials and different things and, and depressions, but I tell you, I, I just know this to be true. If we touched beauty even just a little bit, the heart would soar with ecstasy. Are, are you guys, are you, am, am I making sense? I didn't go too deep, did I? Okay, just double Our capacities are built for something so far greater than we've imagined. And we've made God sort of pretty. And we've made him a, a little bit enticing in our minds. We have lowered the truth of who God is. I tell you, the glory of the Lord excels. I mean, it, it completely excels any possible thing we've ever dreamt. If he can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think, what do you think he is? He's exceedingly abundantly above all you've ever dreamt. This is what you're made for. This is how our emotions change. This is how our personalities change. By perceiving God. Now, I talked about that He is the definition of beauty. When we see Him, see, for now we're behind, unfortunately, a little bit, we're behind a glass. We, we perceive Him from behind the glass darkly. It's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. We're behind the veil of time. We're, we're behind the flesh. But even that which we perceive on this side has the, has the potency to cause you to, I mean, just be overwhelmed. Because, you know, think about it. We get a good meeting going, a little bit of the presence of God going, and people are, can't get up. Like they cannot get, and, and you know, we go, wow, the glory. And, and I think what he does is he takes his pinky, dips it in a little of the sauce or whatever, shakes it off mostly, and then gives us the pink, you know, just a little drip of glory. And we're all, ah, you know. I don't think we've seen like the scoop at all. I mean, we just have not. And I, 
and I don't, I, don't, I don't have an attitude about this, but the guys that are like, we've got everything. I know in your spirit you got God dwelling. I know that, but please, beloved, we've not seen anything yet. We have not seen anything yet. There's so much more available. So when, when we engage, I mean, we're made for this. When we engage with beauty, when we truly engage with beauty, there's, there's enough available, even though that we're behind the glass, even though we're behind time, there's enough available to enthrall our hearts. I mean, the entirety of our lives I mean, I'm talking about bursts of ecstasy upon your soul that carry you continuously. It's simply a matter of revelation of the truth of who he is. It's it's simply a matter of the spirit of revelation speaking to us and and seeing God as God. That's simply what this is about. we We are always one, I mean, millimeter from a new view of, of the infinite God that will shock us in our in our just our fragile little frame. We are finite, man. You get a little touch of eternity on your soul. You go, whoa. We can live this entire life completely enthralled. This is what we're made for. And it's the thing that makes the most sense. You want to live grounded, anchored to this natural place, only perceiving life through the natural senses and only seeing through the, the natural, you know, sort of headlines and opinions? Or do you want to perceive through the truth of God and the beauty of God and let everything else then be interpreted by the, the truth of who He is? I want to live there. I want to see from there. I want to perceive everything in this realm from there. Not from here. I want to see it from there, from the throne. I want to see it from the face of Jesus. This is it. This is what life is engaged. This is what life is about, engaging with God. This is a huge question. This is a question I want us to just to deal with, and I'm dealing with it myself. Is our interest in the beauty of God, our interest in the throne and the beauty of God, is it reasonable... When we consider how great the subject is. What I mean is, are we interested enough in God? Are we interested enough in His beauty when, we're, when we truly understand how massive this subject is? Is our interest commensurate with the size of our subject? That's what I'm asking. I mean, are we really interested in Him to the level that he is interesting. That's what I'm trying to ask us. He will shock us. Just one little, one little glimpse shocks our frame. Now, the beauty of the Lord is, is most expressed in the scriptures through two means. Through theophanies, where God appears like in Ezekiel 1, and through visits to the throne room. And, and, and when we engage in those realms and we see God's manifestation, and we see those that have gone and, and perceived uh, God in the place where his glory dwells, that's when we can comprehend beauty uh, uh, the most. You know, I, I just... Uh, When I think about John going there, and Paul went there, Paul went there. He he said he went to the place where he heard things that are not lawful for humans to speak. What is that? It's John when he hears the seven thunders and they say, the whole, the whole book of Revelation, the angels are saying, write it down, write it down, write it down. John hears the seven thunders. He goes, don't write that down. I imagine it's the same exact idea. Unlawful stuff. In other words, you're not allowed to go there, John. You can't uncork this. This is a realm of mystery that's not yet available. Guys, we have like 
Okay, think about this for a second. We have an infinite God. God is infinite. And we got like 50 details. I mean, have you, have you dealt with this point? We got Jasper, we got Sardius, we got some elders, we got some living creatures, we got several lamps of fire, we got a sea glass. One sound on the, I, mean, I mean, and I want to go, we're going to go deep into the details that we have got because it's, it's so essential that we go into those details. Probably he only gives us about 50 because if he gave us 51, if we really like tapped all 50 and then he had to give us another, we'd probably explode. There's probably so much packed in those 50 that, I mean, it just, it would just, I mean, if we got anything else, we would just completely, you know, melt. But We've got about 50 or so details, not a real number, but imagine the infinite God, how many details there are about him and the place his glory dwells. How many details are there about God? What is possible, what's possibly available? Undoubtedly, Paul, if you go there, undoubtedly, John, if you go there, undoubtedly, if you go there, you're going to hear inexpressible words which are not lawful for men to speak. Let me tell you this. I believe many people are going to go there before Jesus returns. I'm convinced at this point. The application of the outpouring of the spirit of prophecy is many get to encounter what John encountered. When he pours out his spirit on all flesh, and the first thing he says is, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Well, prophecy is the testimony of Christ Jesus. And what is the book of Revelation? The testimony, the revelation of Christ Jesus. And what is that whole thing but a man's trip to the throne room? These ideas are completely linked. The spirit of prophecy and the heavenly trip, the, the, you know, the blast off, those are linked I'm convinced of this. Many are going to go up before the Lord comes. Man, let's set our sights on it. I don't want to live defined by this age in this realm. Listen, the throne is what defines reality. The throne of God. Guys, the throne of God is what defines reality. No other definition of reality is, is legitimate. It's the throne of God. That's where we've got to get our definition. Man, am I making sense? The throne defines you. The throne defines me. That's where we're to get our identity from the one who created us. The throne, this place of beauty and majesty and glory and splendor and ecstasy. This is what defines my reality and all reality. I'm not talking about individual realities. This is what defines every reality, that throne. And when you live with the throne and and that as your identity and that as your identifier, the one that's upon the throne... And every perception of everything changes. Fear of man just disintegrates when you live through the lens of behold a throne set in heaven. I'm just trying to set the table a little bit. I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm so sorry. I barely even touched the introduction. (laughs) many are going up I'll just proclaim that again many are going up I believe that I believe the outpouring of the spirit of prophecy is yes people prophesying on the earth but I believe it has everything to do with people going through that door I believe there is an open door of of invitation and God is going to take many up as we're going toward the drama at the end of the age many will have seen the throne And I don't know if it's many in terms of like the majority of the population of believers, but I believe it's many compared to how many have gone up now. And I'm not talking about sort of saw something in my mind. I was there. I mean, that's real. And we do have entrance by the spirit and we go there. We can actually perceive things in our our mind. I'm talking about the physical, you know, blast off. I don't know how that works exactly. But whatever John did. It was extraterrestrial up there. That version. 
And I, it's funny, you, you know, you make these little bargains with God. God, if you take me up, I won't even tell anybody, I promise. I don't want just a newsletter story. I'll just, come on. Okay, okay, God, take me up, but don't scare me on the way. Can you do it without scaring me? I don't want to freak out. You, got, you prayed that prayer probably. It's probably like, okay, okay, you can scare me, but I, okay. Not too bad, all right? I prayed these prayers. And then after a while, you just pray all the way through the prayer, and you just go, okay, whatever it takes, freak me out. I don't want to even shock me so I can't even speak for a month. Whatever. I'll just, just give me what John had. Let me see. Let me perceive. I want to see him. I'll just end with this. I am like two points into my introduction. I just ended with this story, though. I remember when I was, I was, uh, this has been 10 years ago, I was living, when I was living in Kansas City, and I was uh, talking to a friend of mine. And I hope this story recalibrates you the way it did me. And my friend, he said to me, he said, because um, we were talking about a move of the Spirit of God, and what we wanted to see God do. And my friend said, if I put a platter before you of all the possible things available in the kingdom of God, and you could pick just one of them, and I thank God we don't have to pick just one of them. He said, if you could only pick one of them. He said, which one would you pick? And he said, if I could put on there that you'd heal cancer every time you prayed for somebody with cancer, or that you could heal paralytics, or blind eyes, or you could raise the dead, or you could win a million people to Jesus in evangelistic crusades, or that you could do, you know, he just named all these different things, and in the mix he said, or that you could, you know, see Jesus. Without blinking, without blinking, I said, raise the dead. And he said to me, And that's the difference between you and I. He goes, you want to do something for God. He goes, I want God. He goes, I would want to see Jesus. And he wasn't doing it as a look at me. I'm more spiritual than you are, Billy. He was just saying, we've got to become a people that want his face more than we want any, you know, ministry accomplishment or human accomplishment or any even good kingdom thing. We've got to be people that want his face more than we want anything. And as soon as he said it, he goes, I'd want to see Jesus. I'd want to go up. I went, oh, oh, God, forgive me. And I'm a guy that's been seeking revival. I'm a revival guy. I love revival. I preached on revival this morning. But you know, one of the things I think the Lord is trying to get the revival people into is going after his beauty, going after his face. Because if we gain his face, we get his favor. And if we have his favor, we have the latter rain. Got to go after his face, gang. Got to go after beauty. It's in beauty that our hearts are moved and our emotions are touched and our, our personalities are transformed. It's in beauty that we're defined, the beauty of God. And you know what? I'm going to talk about this for about three or four months, and I don't even know what I'm talking about. Because we haven't touched it yet. We've we've barely even scratched the surface, guys. Your eye can perceive 2.5 million light years. And all we've ever seen of him is a millimeter. Oh, I want to go for this. I want to go for this, guys. 
And that's what we're to be. We're to be a community of, I mean, people who want to gaze on beauty. Throne room people. People so acquainted with the activity of the throne room. It's so acquainted with the beauty of God. So thrilled by God. Therein is where holiness is found. Therein is the beauty of holiness. Happy holiness. The heart that's whelmed with majesty. Therein do all this age, all the trials of this age, do they all actually get definition? We actually perceive reality properly. We see this age through the throne. We've unplugged the, uh, the time clock. It doesn't mean we have to go long, but if the Lord's moving, we're just going to do that. So I didn't want to pull the plug on worship. I just was so grateful that we were touching something there. Here's the altar call. The altar call is this. I want to call us to be a people who will gaze on the beauty. And if you just say, I want to go deep in this message. I want to go deep in the revelation of the beauty of the Lord, the majesty of our God. I just want you to come and I want us to pray together. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. One thing I ask. One thing I seek. I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold your beauty, to inquire. I want to gaze. (laughs) Oh, I want to be defined by that place and not by any natural source. My definition, my identity comes from the Father on the throne. Come, Holy Spirit.